You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And it's brought to you by you, dear listener, you. Thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. If you're a patron, this is, of course, your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not, but would like to get our ad-free versions, our extended cuts, live streaming, and access to our 24-7 Discord members club, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and find out how you can support us with no commitment at all. And thank you very much to Neil Fisher, who's our most recent patron who joined us this week. He's also sent an email that's coming up a little later on in the show. Although just to clarify, this isn't a pay-to-be-read service. It's just pure coincidence that Neil's joined us as a patron and we're reading his email. We will read people's emails, even if they don't support us financially. But I'm pretty sure, Ian, that was already very clear, wasn't it? I, well, I believe so. But uh, all welcome at hello at techpodcast.uk. Um, Ian, I think it is time to put our hands to one side, then above our heads, and then swan dive straight forwards into the concrete ocean that is Facebook's week this week. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has said he will not appear before a UK parliamentary committee to give evidence in the wake of allegation that information on millions of its users was misused. Now, this is according to uh, me this week because I was covering this for Bloomberg. Damien Collins, he's the head of the committee that's also investigating the impact of social media on recent elections, not just those in Britain, had invited Zuckerberg to answer for what he called a catastrophic failure of process. You remember that, mate? Uh, yes, indeed, I do. It was only last week. It was, but I know how your brain gets a little <laughs> foggy around this time of year. Um, Damien, he, he'd asked him to come and Zuckerberg replied in the form of a letter which was delivered to Collins saying that uh, he has asked one of his senior deputies to attend instead. Uh, I was covering the hearing, actually, the the one that uh, was being held this week where they were gathering evidence from whistleblower Wiley, uh, which lasted four hours, incidentally. And don't envy me for having to cover a four-hour parliamentary committee hearing, but that is what I do, um, you know. As part of my day job. Um, but during that, uh, Collins had almost made fun of the CEO. It came across as quite jocular to me almost, joking that he was just going to send one of his juniors. Um, but he did also say he was still going to ask Zuckerberg to appear. Now, to me, this is frankly embarrassing for Facebook, <coughs> yeah. in, in my personal opinion. And I was I went I was on Bloomberg TV um, the week before last. It was before Zuckerberg had responded, but after Collins had asked him to appear. And I'd said that anything short of Zuckerberg appearing before the committee would just look like a PR disaster. And that's exactly what's happening. He's agreed to appear in front of a U.S. congressional uh, committee hearing, I I believe, in in the U.S., which will be very awkward because, you know, I don't think Zuckerberg's the best speaker under intense pressure. And it's certainly contributing probably to why he doesn't want to do so in Britain. Um, But this just looks like he's hiding behind a deputy don't you think yeah Ian? i do think that and i think it's an absolute disgrace uh, i assume they don't have the option of uh demanding he'd arrive he appear they can't no, I mean, subpoena they, him or anything no because he's not a british citizen um and that's <laughs> no, that's that, that that's key here so they can they can ask you know and, and if anything moved into sort of criminal territory then obviously um there can be warrants out but you know they they can't force him to appear at this point they can just no. ask repeatedly it is a bit rude isn't it 
to you know because essentially he, he's if he annoys them enough they'll legislate won't they and he does not want that well there have been a lot of calls to re- legislate for better regulation of social media companies in in the uk this this was this also came up this week actually that we should have a more robust body for um for you know appeals processes and, and, and oversights essentially creating a social media for sorry an ipsos the the press regulation but not regulation board the you know the, the independent body that oversees the press newspapers and magazines um it was margot james one of the politicians in dcms actually that had had posited this and we we did a story about it in fact um at bloomberg but you know that's that's down the line at the moment we've still got to sort out what exactly facebook's going to do to defend itself nick uh, in the discord in the chat room right, right now is saying it's a disgrace he's ceo of one of the biggest companies in the world that more people use than any other company he can't and he can't front up and i agree and i, I honestly I, do, yeah. I honestly think that um i honestly think that that's that's how it's going to be seen over here this side of the pond you've got this giant company that's got two billion users uh, over two billion users you know and, and a giant percentage of the uk population um this is centered on cambridge analytica and a lot of stuff that's been happening here in in britain with alexander nix and and friends and yet he won't come and appear and, and yeah, I, 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 I think he's gonna get i think he's gonna get quite a bit of stick for that on this side of the pond i have to say well i mean i i I just think it's the least he could do really as a way of saying look okay we i accept that um you know we've 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 made a big mistake here and we're going to correct it and here's how uh i mean they will give him a pretty big time but but sorry a pretty hard time i would imagine and i can see why he would think it would be a bad idea to appear because he'll make himself look kind of stupid i think but even so he should have been doing it really yeah uh, nick was asking in the um in the chat room did i mean the independent press complaints commission no i mean ipso which is the independent press standards organization i think that's what it stands for um it was it was suggested that we had one for social media companies you know not just in the wake of what's happening with facebook right now but also relating to hate speech abuse online trolling uh, all that kind of stuff and and ha- if if these companies are not able to regulate themselves and and the the suggestion is that they cannot at least not to uh-huh. the standards of the british government um then someone needs to do it for them and we have someone that does that for newspapers and magazines and we don't for social media who are largely these days if anything more influential at least in terms of spreading and disseminating information and there's no regulatory oversight so that may well be something that that changes and then of course we've got the issue of europe there's 500 million people in europe and it's very very likely that regulators over there are going to want to speak to zuckerberg as well so this is a mess in my opinion it's a pr mess probably waiting to get worse before it gets better but yes let us know any thoughts you have on the issue hello at techpodcast.uk this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Ian, we're going to talk about Ireland, Republic of. <laughs> Republic of. <laughs> in the context of Netflix. Um, and that is because more than two in five, or 42%, of Irish households now subscribe to Netflix, according to the results of Comreges Island Communications Survey 2017. Did you catch that deep report, Ian? I did not. Well, don't worry, the Irish Times did. Uh, and it wrote up that if 42% of Ireland's 1.24 million fixed residential broadband subscriptions were to be used to access Netflix, which is in line with the survey sample, that would suggest that about 521,000 people in, uh, in, in the Republic of Ireland that have Netflix which is that's staggering really it is and uh, you know this figure on its own and, and we're using this as a little bit of a segue into the next uh, sort of bigger story about netflix um, but i looked at what the current figures are for the uk um there's i didn't find a consistent standard but i looked at statista uh, which said that 20 there are now 22.7 million households in the uk um, with fixed line broadband and then separately according to barb the broadcast uh, research board there's now 8.1 million households in the UK that have Netflix subscriptions. So I did the maths. That suggests that Netflix is in 36% of homes in the UK. So a little under what uh, the Republic of Ireland has, although by comparison, in the US, the figure is about 54% of households. So much much wider present uh, penetration and obviously in a larger, uh, much larger market too. Um, but I thought this was interesting because it suggests that in the Republic of Ireland, they're missing something that we here in the UK do not, the BBC iPlayer. And the BBC says it's being squeezed out by Netflix and Amazon. It is the uh, the iPlayer toothpaste being squeezed or squozen, if you like, with intense thumb pressure, just getting that last little bit of minty entertainment out of the out of the nozzle and uh, that's because uh, this story is that the bbc has released its second annual report since its new charter was established and the broadcaster has painted a rather bleak picture for itself according to engadget this week it says it's being squeezed out of the market by quote a small number of us-based media giants with extraordinary creative and financial firepower their business models and huge budgets mean we are increasingly being squeezed out of an ever more competitive environment. British creativity and British content are now under real threat. Uh, it said in this, uh, in a conclusion to the report that this year it's going to see further improvements for iPlayer, or we're going to see further improvements for iPlayer, including enhancements to the user experience, more personalization, more live content, and it says, quote, we continue to look at the at increasing the availability of some content. Now, before we move to the radio side of this, I don't really think that the reason Netflix is potentially squeezing out the BBC iPlayer is anything to do with a lack of personalization or user experience. I think it is no, highly down to I... content, which was the last point that they raised here. And it strikes me that the BBC is sitting on a gold mine, you know, its archive, and it has been dripping that out onto the platform. But stuff disappears after 30 days, largely, because it's a catch-up service. <sighs> and it's sitting on decades, decades of programming that that could that could be made available on the iPlayer for streaming. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't own a lot of it, does it? That's the problem. And Stephen Huxtable in, in the live chat is saying right now as well um, that there's rights issues, and, and absolutely yeah. there are rights issues. But, you know, there's got to be a workaround to this. 
you know, they're sitting on this archive of stuff. There's got to be a large portion of it that can be made available or the rights issues can be. Well, they they could they could start negotiating better deals um, and, and start thinking about broad TV as um, an on-demand first service. So, for example, there is nothing stopping them from saying that they want to renegotiate the deals they have with uh, their commercial partners for, you know, production companies and the like and say look you know once once we've commissioned a program um it's essentially ours to put on iplayer in perpetuity but they've got to somehow convince uh you know the the providers of that content that that's an acceptable idea but that's what netflix does you know i mean netflix isn't entirely involved in all of the i mean obviously there are a lot of things on netflix that are netflix originals uh, but it also does do deals with third parties, and I, I imagine a lot of those shows, whilst they are badged as Netflix originals, will have been made by an independent production company. Um, so I, I kind of feel like um, it's perhaps a negotiating problem for the BBC here that they're not they're not they're they're treating de- on demand as they have always treated broadcasts, and that's not the way the world works anymore. Al Struthers in the in the live chat right now also highlights that it's a problem with the kids stuff as well and that you go on Netflix and there's hundreds of episodes yeah. that you want to watch and Amazon as well um, but always very few on on the BBC iPlay because a lot of it is sort of it's contained within this 30-day catch-up window but I was thinking you know for example there are shows that the BBC owns the rights to like Dragon's Den right Dragon's Den they do sell it those does, it doesn't own the rights to Dragon's Den it's Sony it's like a production deal. So they have a certain amount of, uh, they get a certain amount of time. It might be a year or whatever, or 30 days, and that's it. The thing is, there are very few programs, because The Dragon's Den is some is based on some... Yeah, it's an endemic format came. from Japan, I think, or something. Right, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I thought it was Japan. Um, yeah, and it's, it's <clears throat> I don't know why it's ended up being Sony, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. It, I uh, those are the, that is the problem it's this started decades ago with the bbc where they were you know very much forced into a situation where they were they need to commission in a lot of external stuff and bbc production was largely shut down it was it was considered too uh, too disruptive to the industry so they said well you'll have to commission in now and with that comes the fact that commissioned programs retain are the rights to which are retained by the original company that made them uh, there are very few BBC formats which are owned, wholly owned. Doctor Who, Top Gear, those are some of them. Um, but most of the things, like things like Spooks, um, are always external companies. And they take those ideas to the BBC and pitch them. So it's not like the BBC comes up with ideas and then sort of farms the production out. Well, I mean, Dragon's Den, by ex- by example, I've just been looking this up because I didn't actually plan on us going down this rabbit hole, partly because it turns out I don't know all the information here. Um, <laughs> but it says, you know, the format is owned by Sony Pictures, but it's based on the Japanese series and has been produced by BBC Manchester since its first since its yeah. first broadcast. The the contract will have been um I mean Dragon's Den started after iPlay was introduced, so it would have been it would have been in the contract, but the contract would say something like you will give us the rights to show the program um for 30 days. And there will be a number of repeat, repeat plays that they'll have rights to. Uh, but you would not be able to show an episode of season one of Dragon's Den now on TV. It would be absolutely impossible. They'd have to re-buy um, rights for that season. So a lot of those things will never be seen again on TV anyway. Uh, they go into Sony's archive and 
it, it would then be able to sell them later on to Netflix. You can see examples of that on Netflix where some, obviously the BBC does a lot of, this is another point to make, the BBC sells a lot of its own content to Netflix where it probably shouldn't be doing that. It should be saying, here are all the episodes of Top Gear on iPlayer, rather than here are, you know, here are all the episodes of Top Gear on Netflix. Uh, that makes no sense. But, again, I think that's complicated slightly by the fact that BBC Worldwide pays a lot of money to make Top Gear. The BBC's own production budget can't sustain Top Gear. So, therefore, the Worldwide has to get involved and it wants a piece of the action. And that piece of the action is global TV rights and streaming. So, yeah, what can you say? Well, I can just say that I'm both... I'm just annoyed. I mean, you could buy the first se- the first series of Dragon's Den, first couple, on, on DVD because BBC yeah. released those. But you can't buy, to my knowledge, any of the rest of them. And you can't stream them anywhere. And I've looked on iTunes. You can't buy them. Yeah, I was going to say, are they on iTunes? No. Yeah. They're not. So uh, it's like, yeah. like this, is my, this is my point, right? And this, maybe this is the challenge that the BBC could try and overcome somehow is that this is content that exists, that's good, um, but is completely unavailable anywhere to buy, other than, you know, obviously on, yep. on you know, torrent services and, and YouTube probably and things like that. It doesn't exist. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that surely the BBC, if it wants to be this home for British content, it, it needs to be pulling in a much larger amount of this material and and making it available, even if it yeah. even if it costs. You know, perhaps perhaps this whole idea of a commercial iPlayer has some legs if it would allow this kind of thing to happen and, and really rival the likes of Netflix. But it changes the model entirely from being a catch up service for UK license fee payers to a destination in its own right up against the the likes of Amazon and Netflix. But that's yeah. I don't see any other way around it. No, there isn't a way. And, and also, you've got to remember that the BBC has operated like this for years with DVDs. The DVD releases of things were also catastrophically badly managed. Um, and it, again, it comes down partly to rights um, and partly to the fact that a lot of the time it costs too much to make a DVD, so they just don't bother. Um, and, and then those programmes get put in a tape storage facility somewhere. They probably I don't even know if the BBC keeps a lot of those third-party productions they may be they may feel that it's not their job and they they must rest with the production companies so not only have you got all the issues with the rights themselves but you've also then got to track down the copy of the program and and you've got probably going to have to pay some money to get that out of an archive somewhere or something you know it just gets completely and utterly impossible to manage yeah Uh, and that's why i suspect it doesn't happen it's not a lack of will I don't believe at all it's a lack of will. I think the will is is very much there. It's it's the financial obligation and the you know the perhaps some restrictions on imposed by the charter and by the you know BBC Trust and things like that which is obviously not something that Netflix has to worry too much about. And obviously the fact that it's it's free at the point of use at least. It's not something that people feel like they're signing up for. Um but the the chat room's very active at the moment and talking a lot about radio and, and podcasts and, and the BBC has as part of this study not study as such, it's a report, isn't it? Um it suggested a revamp, a complete revamp of its iPlayer radio platform to fold in a huge its huge library of podcasts too. Now this again to me feels like an interesting opportunity to add other podcasts. I don't know, maybe uk focused technology shows um if they wanted to if they wanted to be a bigger destination 
for audio as well. I'm not suggesting they create something to to rival the iTunes podcast library, but if you're a home for British, specifically British audio, then I could see that being a very interesting opportunity to to become a destination for that kind of stuff. Otherwise, everything gets yes. very homogenous and and you know the differences between the platforms are, are very murky i would say it it just it's everything about it is is like it, it's two sides fighting and it it causes a problem and it means that the general public is not getting as good a deal out of it as they should be um and it's all down to you know the fact that, that everyone complains constantly about the bbc including other broadcasters well if you have a complaint or a compliment about the bbc um whether or not you're at one of the other broadcasters then let us know Hello at techpodcast.uk. Let's talk about dumping, Ian. It's time to talk about dumps because according to a headline on the register this week, Europe dumps 300,000 UK-owned .eu domains into the Brexit bin. I loved this headline. It's clunky and inelegant, but kind of fun. Um, And the story follows. Um, In an official statement Thursday, the European Commission announced it will cancel all 300,000 domains under the top under the .eu top level domain that have a UK registrant following, obviously, Britain's eventual departure from the EU. This is all according to the register still. Now, this means that if if a UK person, i.e. you or me or a business, owns a .eu web address, they will no longer be able to renew them. In fact, no one will be able to sign up for a new one at all. And there is suggestion that current ones may stop working the moment Britain leaves the EU with no right to appeal. According to that this, won't happen. According to this document. Well, there is a bit, now, because rather too low down in the registered article, for my, in my journalistic opinion, uh, is that there's a, a glimmer of hope for these individuals who may be suffering from this, in that the EU's announcement does, does note that its decree is, quote, subject to any transitional arrangement that may be contained in a possible withdrawal agreement, meaning essentially it could form part of a Brexit deal as agreed by Theresa May and friends. <laughs> I cannot imagine them bothering that with that. Historically, my faith in the technological abilities of the government um, has been... Are not good. Uh, not not good. But also, I just don't think it's that much of a priority. That's the other problem. And unless somebody can slack an em- economic cost to not doing this, then I don't see this being a priority. But But I imagine it's one of these things that may not get agreed upon at the time and gets agreed slightly after the fact and possibly all could be saved. But if not, I mean, this is a real pain. I mean, it's great business probably for um, people in the business of web services, redirects, things like that. It's not good for the registries that exist to sell this domain. It's- well, I would also say that I, I suspect that unless they're forced to do it, they wouldn't kick anyone off. I, I think that definitely may stop people from renewing. And I think that's absolutely reasonable. Like, I don't see why you should be able to buy or renew an EU domain if you're not in the EU. But it's the whole point of the EU. It's, 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 that's how this is meant to work. And, and certainly on an individual basis, it's probably not a great deal of scrutiny going into that. But if you're a very large corporation, you probably have to be quite careful about how you tread in that regard. But it's just another, it's another unknown in the Brexit process. But if somebody is aware of having a .eu address in the UK, then it might be something you want to look into or raise with your, yeah. with your business 
um, if you if you care to do so. And uh, if you are affected or think you might be affected by this, it, we'd be very interested in hearing about it and hearing about how you could maybe address it. Um, and do send that to us at hello at techpodcast.uk. Not dot .eu. Ian, let's step into our news bag, shall we? And rummage around, see what we can find in here. We've got one from uh-huh. Neil. He is our new newest patron. Welcome, Neil, and thanks for this email. Um, and this is a great email, and this is one that um, I know that one of our regulars, Richard Taylor, will probably have an opinion on. He says, Hi, Nate and Ian. Just curious on what your thoughts are. I currently live in a narrow boat, on a narrow boat, and therefore have no access to landline broadband. So I have the top SIM-only deal with three, which gives me unlimited everything except tethered data. I only get 30 gigabytes. To overcome this, I put my SIM card into an old Android phone and run an app to hide my tethered usage. My current data usage is about 120 to 150 gigabytes per month. I would pay a bit extra for unlimited tethering if I could, but as far as I'm aware, this isn't an option with the network, and I think I would have usage limitations with mobile broadband just curious on your thoughts of me doing this both morally and legally i don't know if i'm breaking any laws doing this or if the networks just frown upon it ps love the show Uh, and just subscribe to patreon thank you very much neil both for the email and the patronage ian what's your thoughts on this no there's not breaking any laws is he but uh, i mean morally i guess you could argue it's well, no. Even then, they're just not paying attention properly, are they? If you can, if you can circumvent their stupid checks with a single app, then ultimately they're not, they're not really they're not that serious about preventing it, are they? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think that um, I, I have a lot of sympathy. I think it would be much more realistic for uh, companies to offer a, a large amount of data for for users who need it. Uh, and you know, and there are lots of people who rely on 4G. As it stands, it's generally unaffordable uh, to have a very large amount of data, uh, particularly for tethering. Uh, I also get 30 gigs on three, um, yeah, because that's. I think their standard is only to offer that and nothing more. Um, but yeah, if you can get away with it, I'm all for it. I would. I would support that to to a large extent because. I don't think 120 to 150 gigabytes per month is actually that much data. Um, I mean, I've certainly... I remember when I went away in... If it was my my our mini-moon, our sort of first honeymoon straight after the wedding last year, we were in a cottage in Wales that had, you know, un- internet so bad as to be unusable. And so we were tethering for the whole time. And I think we, we talked about it on the podcast at the time, in fact, that yeah. I used something like, 90 gigabytes or something over that period and admittedly we were uploading a lot of pictures but we weren't using it for things like BitTorrent or downloading multiple seasons of tv shows we were using it for what we actively needed at the time so i could totally believe 120 to 150 gig per month is fine and on top of that you've got unlimited data on your phone there's nothing stopping you on your phone leaving netflix streaming 24 hours a day for the entirety of the month and you'd probably easily hit that figure so they're not stopping you using the data they they put that in to prevent people using it as a replacement for fixed line broadband and using up a terabyte a month in fact i'm just looking at my usage figures now because i'm currently doing a restore on my icloud drive to re-download stuff and since about 12 o'clock today i have used 190 gigabytes of data on my fiber optic connection in six hours so 
that's why they don't want you using unlimited tethering is for people like me streaming that amount of data in half a day. So I think 120 to 150 is perfectly fine. And you're certainly not breaking any laws. You might be in breach of a contract, but the worst they'll do is cancel it and get you to pay up for the rest of it. I think you're probably fine, is my opinion. Anyone else having this uh, this thought or have alternatives that we could present to Neil, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Mr. Morris, do you want to take this next email from Giles? Sure. Yeah. Love a show, but I thought you and Ian missed a couple of important details on the Uber crash story. I've also seen the video, and I don't think it gives an accurate description of what the human driver would have seen because the video's dynamic range is so poor. It gives a false impression that the driver can only see the pool of light cast by the dipped headlamps, with much of the scene, including the sky, being featureless black matte. The human driver uh, should have used full beams if the road was unlit, but was not paying proper attention to the road because the car had not given them enough to do, to the point where they were only occasionally glancing up at the road. In a normal car, the driver would have seen would have, would have had the headlamps on full, and it would have made them easier for them to see the pedestrian and for the pedestrian to see them, avoiding the accident altogether. I've heard several stories about the quality of Uber's self-driving system over recent months, and I'm not surprised this accident is down to them. While I look forward to the widespread adoption of driverless technology, there needs to be appropriate checks in place before driverless systems are let loose on the roads. This could include a driving test-based simulation data uh, from existing captures that proves the system is many times safer than a human. Reckless experimentation on public roads will destroy confidence in this technology. Kind regards... Giles, I mean, I agree with that. Obviously, you know, the, the, these sort of things when they go wrong are catastrophic for the wider uh, market. Yeah, I agree, and and it is it is something that we we didn't really think about because if you are if you're taking a, a, a photograph of a scene, a very very high contrast scene, which this very much was at the extreme end of you had a very bright spot on the floor where the where the light is. The design of of cameras, unless they're HDR processing in HDR they're having to underexpose the scene in order for that bright bit which it thinks you want to see um you know to remain visible and in and in focus um whereas if it was a a bright scene with a human eye you would you would see more detail perhaps i think that's what jars is is getting at yeah uh, i do and i agree. and i can sort of see the point um i, I i'm not going to blame anyone for the accident i it's it's too difficult really um, and it's not for us to do that kind of thing, but uh, you know, I, I I have some sympathy. I don't know. I don't know whether main beam would have helped. Uh, I feel like this was a very very odd accident, and it, the kind of one of those things that where these a set of circumstances created a situation that probably wouldn't happen a lot. Um, but you know, uh, I, I I can't disagree with most of it. I, you know, we we have to make sure that these systems are better and can save more lives than having humans driving would. Well, thanks again, Giles, for the, the great email. And if anyone has any comments on that message or the topic, of course, do uh, do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. We did have a long email from uh, from Ross, which we're going to get to next week because we, we had basically too much uh too much uh, to discuss this week but thank you Russ we'll get we'll get to you next week let's check in with Tom Merritt of Daily Tech News Show and find out what's been going on this week in the wider world of 
Tech. Hey, thanks, y'all. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we try to understand the regulation of cryptocurrencies, try to understand Apple's attempt to break back into the education market, discuss whether the swing to the cloud and the edge will ever swing back on premise, dig a little into Microsoft's reorganization and its Microsoft 365 subscription service, and discuss space tech with a roundtable of people who have actually worked or are working in the industry. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. News in space, Ian. Hey, actually, I wonder, how long before we need a daily space news show? Well, I why not have one now? I mean, I'm there's. it's not like there's a lack of news from space. No, although I always find the concept of news from space being so interesting. It's like when they discover a quote-unquote new dinosaur. It's not really a new dinosaur. It's a new discovery, but it's not a new dinosaur, is it? And so, sure, I think space, they just have to use normal English to make it, you know, possible for people to understand what they're going on about. Yeah, like when they talk about a, a new, uh, a new supernova. Like the supernova probably happened millions of years ago, so it's not new. It's newly discovered. It's a bit like criticizing people for, uh, you know, claiming the peanut is a nut when in fact it isn't a nut. You're a nut. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, good listen to DTNS this week about the new iPad. Um, We're going to cover that as well next week because I'm meeting Apple on Wednesday to talk to them about it, use it, get one, uh, and also talk to the head of European education. So I sort of felt, you know, you guys listen to this show. You you know Apple's got a new iPad. You don't need me to recount that. Uh, But we will do a bit of actual hands-on stuff and what I learn about the sort of priorities here in the UK uh, next week. So any questions about that, do send them, of course, to the usual address, hello at techpodcast.com. UK. Well, um, that's going to do it for this week's show. Um, do send any comments always to the usual address. You can follow us on Twitter at Text Message Pod. We're almost hitting 600 followers on there, which is fantastic. And thank you, of course, to our beautiful patrons um, for supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. And thanks to our patrons who have joined us this week in the chat room. We've had a, a buzzing chat room with many, many people listening live this week. It's great fun. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, Nick Gassman, I know it's your first time listening to us live. And so thanks for listening and for joining in, chatting to us while we've been recording. It's fantastic. Um, Ian, I will see you next week. You sure will, mate. I sure will. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.